Hi, this is Paul, and this is Rough Draft for Sunday, where I run through my current version of my Sunday sermon. Every year about this time, I like to go to Google and do an image search of, um, this year I did New Year's 2024 political cartoons to sort of get a sense of what artists and newspapers and the population just generally feels about the country. And as has been true for the last number of years when I do this, there's a lot of anxiety. This one in particular, 2023 is usually portrayed as an old man, and 2024, the new year, is portrayed as a baby. And uh, here the old man is pushing the baby out into a world full of planes and bombs and destruction, and it's just scary. Last week I talked about doom and the end of the world and Jesus coming in as the Gospel of John calls him light into darkness. There's a lot of anxiety in the world and there almost always is, but it's funny how sometimes there's a lighter spirit and a darker spirit and this time feels fairly dark. Possibly not just because of wars and rumors of wars, but because people are sensing that Old ways of agreement are coming to an end, and new ones have to emerge, and we don't know what they will be like. Will we be winners or losers in these new realms? Will there be wars? Will there be loss? We're beginning the new year with the Gospel of Mark. Now, the, the biblical Gospels are eyewitness testimonies to the life of Jesus. Um, the tradition says that Mark was a disciple of Peter, and he accompanied Peter in his preaching, and Peter would tell stories of Jesus. Richard Bauckham wrote a book a few years ago, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, where he goes through and talks about the different canonical gospels and basically makes the assertion that these aren't sort of legends um, decade, written decades later, but these, in fact, are stories from eyewitnesses that were recorded to remember. And Mark and Luke um, for sure gathered, well, Mark got his from Peter. Luke says he gathered sources. Matthew, um, the Gospels are differently shaped, but of course Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have um, very similar stories and some, uh, some borrowing from each other. Now, what is announced is the Gospel, which is good news. And this was a word more broadly known um, in the Roman Empire for an announcement of a victory. Something has happened, something has changed the world, and even though you might not feel it right now in your little corner of the world, something has changed everything, and actually good things are on their way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and just in that little first verse of the Gospel of Mark, there's a lot that's packed in. Now, the Gospel of Mark, compared to the other Mark, the other Gospels, moves very quickly. And actually, we're going to cover an immense amount of material this morning in talking about, in talking about Mark and just Mark, the first 20 verses of the Gospel of Mark. Beginning sort of pings new creation, the beginning of Genesis. So, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the Messiah, of course, is a promised deliverer, someone who will rescue God's people from their adversaries. And the Son of God, of course, is the emissary, God's Son, come with power and authority of the Creator God to enact his kingdom reign in a rebellious world. The beginning of the good news, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, 
I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt wrapped around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not willing to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the end of the world messengers have been around pretty much continuously throughout the history of the world. In the Christian era and even before, you can often find people that are prophesying the end of the current regime or the end of the current state of affairs or even just the end of the physical world. And it's almost become a trope with little sandwich boards, and I just imposed these three faces over Homer Simpson. But the sermon that got taken out when I had COVID um, was about Isaiah 40, which is what is being quoted about John the Baptist. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged place is a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out, and I say, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. John the Baptist seems like a prophet stepping out of the world centuries before them, what they had written, what they have had read about with the prophets before. Comes out looking like Elijah. He was a celebrity. He drew huge crowds to the Jordan, and in fact, we know that his following stayed around for a couple of centuries after him. He caught the popular attention with his apocalyptic imagery. You can read in the other Gospels, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Flee the coming apocalypse. It's coming for you, and if you don't repent, you'll be swept out, and you will be destroyed. He's sort of a live-action role-playing and people are caught up in the drama. You see this pattern of reaching back and bringing things from the past into the present and that grabs everyone's attention, and they listen. 
people are caught with a religious fervor to repent, to cast away their worldliness, because calamity is knocking at their door. Now, the baptism in the Jordan is also important because, again, what people understand is that, well, in some ways, they are now, via this man from the past, participating in, well, stories like they heard of old, but now come into the future. God is about to act. And so this going under the water of Jordan, now there's a lot of symbolism in there. There's sort of a ritualized ordeal. There's a death and rebirth. But there's also this transformation of going through the, this particular river. This goes all the way back to Joshua 3. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. And this is what many of them were doing in their baptism. They were consecrating themselves. They were repenting. They were becoming new people. They were changing their lives. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass it ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the waters from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great, distant, a great heap a distance away at a town named Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed until the whole nation had, complete, had completed crossing on dry ground. One of the things that you'll notice is that there's this focal transformation from the old stories, which tend to see Israel as a nation, now to a prophet and individuals who are being transformed. And the focus is on individuals. And these individuals, of course, sort of represent faithful Israel as opposed to Israel that would be threatened by the wrath of God for covenant unfaithfulness. And John is, John is inviting them to walk into the history of Israel, this history that we've been walking through over the last weeks through all of these other rough drafts for Sunday in Advent, all the way up until this story, to pass into this story and come into a special time where God himself will come to his people. And people are imagining, no doubt, that they're going to see the sorts of transformations and the sorts of elements from the stories that they remember from these stories in the past. What they're going to get will surprise them. Again, this is a recapitulation of Israel's story. This is a new participation in Israel's story. 
It is a renewal of Israel's story and a renewal of Israel. But it is more individual. A remnant was coming out of fallen Israel, hoping to survive the watery chaos, think the Genesis flood, that was about to befall God's holy land and his chosen people. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now again, notice the direction. We talked about this when we talked about Ezra and the temple. The direction is from heaven down. Last week we had the angelic courses singing. The rescue comes from heaven down. But just as we saw with the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of smoke by day in the desert wanderings, and just as we pointed to with this king's light the beam, heaven and earth get reconnected. Heavens are torn open. The Spirit descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus now steps into this role and will accomplish what Israel failed to do. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. So again, you see echoes of various stories. You can think about Elijah fleeing to the wilderness. You can think about the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings. You can think about Jesus going out into the wilderness with sort of watery, with sort of dry chaos comparable to sea. Wilderness and sea, in that sense, have a certain amount of parallel. It's not fertile, cultivated land. And so Jesus goes out into the chaos and survives the chaos and is tempted by the devil, but comes out the victor. Again, this is a recap, recapitulation of Israel's story. This is a new participation in Israel's story. This is a renewal of Israel's story. But again, it is more individual. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he said he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, remember Jesus goes out into the chaos of the wilderness. These men lived in the chaos of the sea, bringing food and sustenance for the people out of the chaos into the town. Now, this imagery is important for understanding Jesus, these fishers of men, because they will do, they will go out into the chaos of the world and bring a life-giving place out of the chaos. That's what the promised land is. These men drew their catch from the sea of chaos. Jesus promises them they will catch men the way they catch fish from the chaos around them. But this is a very different tempo from that of Israel's Bible. Again, it is far more individual. We're used to stories of kings and oracles and prophets and wars. Now this is a temple now this is a temple. Now this is a story within the empire of individual human beings and their transformation 
and the gradual transformation of the world from these individuals on up. The focus of the story is different. Now we're going to see Jesus work with small groups of individuals who by Jesus' spirit will change the world. Now 2024 will come and we do not know what 2024 will bring. In all likelihood, it will bring more of the same of what every year brings. Maybe better, maybe worse, on an individual basis, to us as individuals, to us as nations, to us as people. But this anxiety and this concern, this darkness, we continue to feel. But this story is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It didn't look like a military invasion. That's sort of what people were imagining, or a military insurrection. It didn't look like a natural disaster. God didn't swoop in with a storm and clear out the Romans. It began with a recapitulation of the story up until them. John the Baptist comes, and suddenly the sense of time has changed, and God's presence is upon them, and things are going to happen but they're not going to happen in the way that everyone expects them to happen. Heaven reaches down to earth, and things are about to change, but the focus is different. It's not in kingdoms and nations. Now it's in people and their hearts, even underneath the veil of this pagan empire and the corrupt rulers over God's holy land and God's chosen people. Jesus begins to fulfill the role of Israel. Jesus begins to be the emissary, the ambassador, the one who bears witness to the reign of God above and announces its beginning that with Jesus it's going to start to grow. But it's not going to grow in all of the ways that everyone before expected it would grow. He began to work through regular people, people who worked out there in the chaotic world trying to survive in the midst of calamity, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of dread. As we go through this, we're going to learn from the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to see miracles, and we're going to see chaos, and we're going to see Jesus begin to set a new tone, how his people can continue to bear witness to the kingdom of God in the midst of a pagan empire. We're living downstream from this story a great, a great while. Much has changed since the Gospel of Mark, but we'll continue to contextualize it and try to figure out, okay, how do we live this now? Because none of us are kings, none of us are emperors. We're now going to see how we can live this as individual people. The story has not yet reached its culmination. We still live in this time of death. The end of the world still threatens. But we too participate. We too recapitulate and bear witness. We too move forward towards the end, which is in fact a new beginning.